0: Uh, third week and final week of how is this possible series a couple weeks ago it was pointed out to me that maybe Uh, As I was giving the list, if you were here, if you're watching with us online, I gave a list where we see Jesus in all of the books of the Bible. You guys remember that? And uh, it was pointed out that in my list that I had uh, missed the book of Malachi. Uh, The thing that I love about um, being a pastor and a teacher on Sunday mornings is the accountability that comes with it. Uh, the opportunity to be corrected through emails and text messages. And, uh, and, and at first my response was, no, nah, I didn't miss Malachi. And then I went back and looked and I missed it. So some people who make lists, they have to have the list complete. And so I'm going to give you Malachi. Malachi, uh, we see Jesus as the son of righteousness who brings healing. So you can write that down. Uh, and you can stop emailing me about it. Uh, last week, Pastor Jay brought us in the series uh, to this point uh, of ascension where Jesus has been appearing to the disciples. He's been showing up with them, uh, showing up to them, and now they Uh, are at this place where Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. The disciples are there. Somebody asked a question a couple weeks ago. They said, were there witnesses to the ascension? The witnesses were the disciples. They were there. They saw Jesus ascend into heaven. And as Jesus was ascending, he gives them uh, these words. He says to them, I will be sending to you a helper. I'm sending to you a helper, which we know to be the Holy Spirit. You know, last week, Pastor Jay talked about, you know, like Netflix, He use the analogy of Netflix, and it's like the, the sequel or the prequel or whatever, I'm going to use the same thing and just say, what I want to do is I want to go backwards, so this is a flashback. Uh, to all of the times that we see in Scripture, not all the times, but a lot of the times that we see in Scripture, where we're just kind of scratching our head, going, "How is this possible? How did this take place?" Now, this isn't a complete list; it's not all the books of the Bible. But uh, so, if you if you're one who uh, needs every book of the Bible, you're going to be disappointed. Please don't e- email me about it. Um, but we th- we see through Scripture these moments where these things take place, and we're just like. How is that possible? I mean, the the first obvious one is in Genesis where we see creation, right? Just the creation being spoken into existence. And we're just like, how is this possible? In Exodus, we see the parting of the Red Sea. We see water coming from a rock. We see bread coming down on a daily basis from heaven. We see a pillar of cloud and fire. In Numbers, we see an ass speaking in a human voice, We see in Joshua the crossing of the Jordan River. In Judges, we see water coming again from a hollow place. In 1 Samuel, there's thunder and rain during harvest time. In 1 Kings, we see Elijah, who's actually fed by ravens. Ravens come and bring him food. Uh, We see a widow's son raised from the dead. And then we see through prayer uh, rain being an answer to a drought and being an answer to prayer. In 2 Kings, we see Elijah actually like transfigured. He's like tr- uh, translated up to the heavens in a chariot of fire. And if that doesn't make you go, what in the world is going on? How is this possible? And I don't think we're reading it right. Uh, three men delivered from a fiery furnace in Daniel. Uh, From the lion's den, Daniel's also delivered from the lion's den as well. Jonah's preserved from the belly of a fish, right? We we read those things and we're like, how is this possible? How how can this take place? And then we get into the New Testament miracles and we see Jesus born of a virgin, right? We're like, how is that possible? And I would just, I, I would pause for a second and just say, Mary really is the only one legitimately that can say, well, it was a surprise, Right, I mean, I hear people, you know, I ask them, well, were you planning to get pregnant? And they're like, well, it was a surprise. I'm like, eh, well, not much of a surprise. Mary's really the only one that can say that. Jesus then begins his ministry by performing his first miracle at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, and he turns water into wine. There's the son of a nobleman healed. Peter's mother-in-law is healed in Capernaum. There's a leper, a paralytic, and an impotent man all healed, and Jairus' daughter and Lazarus actually raised from the dead. There's walking on water, feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000, the deaf, the blind, the mute, and the woman with a blood disease all completely healed. And then Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, he says, and when he had called his 12 disciples to him, listen to what it says. It says he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So how is this possible? And maybe the question for us as we conclude this series is, how can this be possible today? How is this possible today? Because there's actually some who believe that it's not possible. That they struggle with the verse that's on the back wall that says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. They're like, yeah, that was great for back then. That was good when Jesus was walking this earth. But it's not really for today. And one of the more eye-opening things, maybe illuminating things for my life and my faith Has to do with this next passage of Scripture, the the understanding of this next passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 through 8. It says, Who and the who is Jesus. So Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider Equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. So Jesus is on this earth, he's fully God, he's fully man. But he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness, by being made fully man. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So why is that important? Why does that matter? Well, it's important for us to realize that although Jesus was fully man and fully God, because he did not consider equality with God as something to be used as his advantage, Right? If he was walking this earth and he's praying for people and he's laying hands on people and he's going to use the, the fully God part of who he is to heal people, then the problem with that is you and I have zero opportunity to lay hands on people and pray for healing because, I'm sorry to tell you this, you and I are not God. If, if Jesus is only able to heal people because he's fully God, it doesn't work. We don't have then the power and the authority and all of that to be able to see healing take place in people's lives. But because he did not consider equality with God to be something to be used At his own advantage, what that means then is that when Jesus laid hands on people and prayed for people for healing, it wasn't fully God, it was that they were healed. It was fully man by the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God that people were healed. If Jesus healed people by being God, then As I said, there's no possible way for for, for miracles to take place today because we are not God. It was the fully man by the power of the Holy Spirit that brings healing, restoration, and wholeness. And we see this in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And you know, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and what's it say next then then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with them. So why is this so important? Because as Pastor Jay explained last week, we see that Jesus leaves this earth. He ascends into heaven and this is what he says to the disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He used this verse last week. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and for this reason you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And listen friends, this is not, not only did he say that we would be witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's not that we are receiving the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit just to be a witness, but he goes on and says in John chapter 14, uh, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. This is one of those uh, section of verses that, that mess me up. And should mess you up as well. Like, if we fully understand and grab hold of the weight of these verses right here, th- this, is, this should be something that we're like, how is this possible? He says, I tell you the truth, anyone, that's anyone, not people who have arrived, not people who jump through a certain amount of hooves, no, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. In other words, as Jesus was walking this earth and he's laying on of hands and healing blind people, or as Pastor Jay uses an illustration this morning or as an example this morning in Mark chapter two where you've got these four friends and they lower their paralyzed friend before Jesus and as Jesus says your sins are forgiven and get up and walk, and the paralyzed man gets up and walk, as Jesus Heals the leper as Jesus says to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out of the grave. All of the things that Jesus is doing, he says, Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. And then he goes on, and this is, he says, And he will do even greater than these because I'm going to the Father. I can't even think of greater things. Right? As you think of all of the different things that Jesus did, all of the miraculous works that we see in the Bible, in the, the stories of Jesus, like what could possibly be greater than seeing Lazarus come out of the grave, right? All bound up, just kind of waddling his way out of the grave. What could be better than that? And what Jesus is saying is that not only will you do the things I've been doing, but you're going to do even greater things because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. And you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. We have to understand the weight of this passage, of that statement. I had a question pop up uh, in the text a couple of weeks ago that said, why do we hear of so many miracles uh, that take place abroad, like internationally, but rarely uh, do we hear about miracles taking place uh, in the U.S., like in our everyday occurrence? And a simple answer to that is dependency, it's it's dependency. I mean, I know that's such a si- simplistic answer to that, but the reality is is we live in a society, in a culture here in America, where um, our first response is is ourselves. Our our first response is is to fix it ourselves. If there's a problem, if there's a sickness, if there's a disease, if there's a diagnosis, our our first response is to f- Fix that thing to go to the doctors, to get the medication, to do all of this. And I don't have anything wrong with that. My daughter uh, was actually in the hospital at the beginning of last week for a couple of nights. So we believe in hospitals. We believe in medication. We believe their uh, provision from God. But oftentimes, our, just in our own thinking, it's like, okay, that's the first response. And when those things don't work, our last resort is to go to God. Well, we have so many things available to us, not just talking in physical medical care or things like that, but just in our everyday lives that we don't really need the power of God to intersect our lives in order for us to remain fairly comfortable. But in most places in the world, there is this dependency upon God because it's their only option. It's their only option. Now, it wasn't always this way in America. I mean, there, there was a time in which there was such a dependency and an expectation that God would move and do the miraculous. There was, there was this element of, uh, of dependency to just say, God, it, it was first and foremost, you move and work. I'm going to talk a little bit about... Um, our denomination, so our denomination, if you're not aware of this, if you haven't been through Connection or Newcomers, we encourage you to do that, but we talk about this mostly there. I don't I rarely talk about kind of the history of this movement that we're a part of, And but our denomination was founded in the 1920s, and uh, it was founded by a woman named uh, Amy Semple McPherson. I thought, well, you know, it's Mother's Day, we'll talk about her. She was a mom. And uh, not only was she a mom, but she was a, a pastor. She was a preacher. Uh, she was an evangelist and missionary. She, um, her first husband died on the mission field and, and left her with kids and, and or ended up with kids. And, and so she. I tell people she was kind of like uh, the Billy Graham of her day, uh, but only with a little swirling controversy around her. Uh, Billy Graham, I mean, at least I've never heard or seen any controversy around uh, the man Billy Graham in all of his ministry and and all of that. Maybe there was, but I I haven't ever seen it. Uh, Amy Semple McPherson was human. She she was, you know, listen, you're planting a church in the 1920s and starting a whole denomination in the 1920s. There are whole sections of Christianity today that don't believe women should be in ministry, in, in teaching leadership platform ministry. We obviously aren't one of those, uh, because we'd be pretty hypocritical if our, if our founder, or the found, founding person of our denomination was a woman, and we're like, hey, thanks for founding that. Women are no longer allowed on the platform. right? I mean, that'd be crazy. But it's, this woman, Amy Semple McPherson, she planted a church in Los Angeles. She was one of the most influential people in the history of Los Angeles. She, uh, they built a church called Angeles Temple. It was the first domed building west of the Mississippi. This is, that's unbelievable. I mean, this woman was, was just amazing in all that she was able to accomplish. Well, she also had a huge healing ministry. And I, I pulled up a story from a guy named George Jameson. He, uh, he was alive during the times of uh, Amy Semple McPherson's ministry at Angeles Temple. Uh, he, he was 10 years old when he was able to uh, first witness some of the ministry that was going on. Uh, he just passed away in January of 2020. I don't know how old he was when he passed away, but I, uh, he was old. Um, But he recalls it like this. He says, Every Wednesday, Angelus Temple conducted healing services. Ambulances brought the hopeless cases from area hospitals, and you could see the ambulances lining the streets. Their occupants camped inside the temple, believing for a miracle. He said, I wanted to see those miracles for myself. I re- remember riding a, a streetcar after school to the temple where I would work my way to the front of the sanctuary so I could be as close as possible to the altar when God did the miraculous. The ambulance drivers stood nearby with their ailing patients waiting on canvas stretchers for their turn on the platform where Sister McPherson would pray for them. Even the drivers seemed to know what was about to happen. Many of them had been to Angelus Temple before. They always left with empty stretchers. I saw Sister McPherson lay hands on people who could barely move and offer a simple prayer of faith. And then I saw these people crawl off their stretchers, healed and praising God. One day, I decided to beat the crowd and find my place inside the temple. Making my way from the 500 room to a side door of the sanctuary, I ran into a man on crutches Sister McPherson walked by on her way to the 500 room and she paused to speak to the man and myself and asked him about his injury. He wore a full leg cast and explained how he had broken his leg. Right there in an outdoor passageway between the sanctuary and Sister McPherson's parsonage, she knelt on one knee beside the man and prayed a simple prayer of healing. The cast began to shift and something was definitely changing. "'Honey,' she said to me, "'go find a pair of scissors.' So I ran into the 500 room shouting, "'Sister needs a pair of scissors.' I should have known I was interrupting an important prayer service, but God was performing a miracle, and I needed some help. Someone handed me the scissors, and I returned to Sister McPherson and the man still alone with no one other than me to document the miracle. No fanfare, no altar call, no audience. Sister cut the cast from the man's leg, stood with his full weight on the leg, testing its strength, and then he jumped and walked completely whole. He goes on and says, I never heard a testimony in church about the man's healing. No stories were ever published about what God did. It was simply a miracle of God like so many others that happened everywhere Sister McPherson went. She believed God to heal, and God healed. For Sister McPherson, it was just as simple as that. See, the apostle Paul recognized that the advancement of the kingdom of God is more than just a gathering together and hearing a message or a teaching from a pastor. That the advancement of the kingdom of God is going to require more than just serving in the context of a church or giving or listening. It's actually going to require a move of the Spirit of God. Look at what he says as he's talking to the church in Corinth. And and just listen to this kind of as he's almost speaking to us. He says, I came to you in weakness and in fear. It's one of the most vulnerable times in which Paul really kind of communicates that all of what he's doing. I mean, he writes all these books in the Bible and he's saying to this church, this isn't about me. He says, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling And he says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. See, we've we've kind of created a, a culture that exists today in the context of churches and Uh, In the local church where you have one person on the platform and it's this monologue format and uh, and, and there's almost, I don't think this is the case in our situation, but we've kind of created a celebrity pastor mentality where we follow the words, the persuasive words and the wise words of the preaching of the leader and somewhere we have forgotten the demonstration of the Spirit's power. See, it's, it's not enough for me to just give you wise words or teachings from the Scripture. We have to be dependent. You and I, not, not just me, but you as well, have to be dependent upon the Spirit's power so that our faith might not rest in me. Or some other pastor that you watch online or whatever, that your, that your faith would rest on God's Power in your life. Ephesians chapter 1 says this in verse 17. This is Paul speaking again, now to another church, and he says, "I, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he says something very important. He says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That's my hope for us, LifeHouse, is that we would be a people that understand the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people's incomparably great power would be available for you who believe. And that power that has been given to us in the Holy Spirit is the same power that raised Christ from the dead, is the same power that did the miraculous works that Jesus performed, is the same power that did the miraculous works that the disciples performed as they laid hands on people when Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. I mean, it's the same power of God. We're getting ready to go into a series entitled uh, By My Spirit where we're going to take a look at the relevance of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. Why you and I are, are witnesses and not just witnesses but ambassadors to the power of God in people's lives for his kingdom. Often I get people who make the comment, they come from maybe other theological backgrounds or circumstances, and they, they they say, Well, there's there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more than just coming to church on Sundays and, and serving, and all of those things are great things, but there's there's just, is this all there is? There's there's got to be something more. And the simple answer is there is more. There is more. The Holy Spirit sent to us, is sent to us as a helper in our life, here on earth, in our everyday life. He is sent to us. He is our helper. He is sent to breathe in us and to breathe through us, to perform the miraculous through our lives, and that he will do even greater things than Jesus did through us. How is that possible? How is it possible that you could leave here today and you could pray for somebody who's got a broken leg and pray for healing to take place? And it does. How is that possible? Except the Holy Spirit. There was nothing, nothing special. I mean, I don't want to say that. It wasn't that there wasn't anything special about Amy Simple McPherson, but she was human. She made mistakes. She hadn't arrived to some level. I was talking with a young man last week, and we were talking about the miraculous, and we were talking about what God does in and through us through the Holy Spirit. And, 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 I, and I was asking the question do we have the faith to actually believe that when we pray, God is going to heal? And the response was, was a, a very normal uh, human response. It's like, man, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. I'm just trying to get my life together. I'm just trying to get my act together. And, and that's hard enough. I, I don't even know if I could comprehend praying for somebody that they would actually be healed. I just want to remind us this morning that it doesn't say that when you arrive, when you get to a place of perfection, when you get to a place where now all of a sudden you have figured out the formula, then you get to pray for people and they're going to be healed. It doesn't say that. In fact, anybody that tells you that there's a certain formula that you have to pray in order for people to be healed, I would run as far away from those people as possible. It's bad theology. It just is. There is no formula for this. It doesn't have to be weird. Right? I mean, there's, there's people who will teach this and teach it in such a way that in order to pray for healing, you have to speak in King James English. Your leg has to shake a little bit and you have to be really loud. As if God can't hear you. And depending on how serious of a miracle that you need to take place will determine just how loud you have to get. Like if you're just praying for a cold or a flu, I mean, you, you can hear that and you just pray for that. And, uh, but if you're praying for cancer, you're screaming. And I feel like there are times in which we believe that the longer the prayer is, the more effective it is. I don't see it. I don't see that anywhere in scripture. I see scriptures that talk about the fervent prayer and and the you know pray without ceasing. Of course I see those scriptures, but but I kind of like this picture of, of Sister McPherson in the middle of a of a between two buildings, getting down on one knee and praying a simple prayer of faith and believing that God's gonna actually heal that leg. And without the fanfare and without some sort of recognition or acknowledgement that now I am all of a sudden a faith healer, that I could actually be someone of faith for the individual that needs healing from their brokenness. It doesn't have to be what you think it needs to be. You don't have to be what you think you need to be. You have to have faith. And anyone who believes, anyone who has faith in him can pray and believe for God to do the things that Jesus did and even abundantly more. Now there is faith involved in this, of course. We have to walk in faith. We have to walk in authority, not our authority, but the authority of the Holy Spirit, the power of God in our life. We have to walk in confidence that he will heal when we pray. This is a tricky thing because there are extremes in this scenario. There are people who uh, fall over here that say, well, I'm not even going to pray for healing because I don't think that's how God works, and they're all the way over here. And then there's people over here who are equally as dangerous, in my opinion, who say that when you pray for somebody or when somebody's getting prayer for, for healing and they're not healed, that they don't have enough faith. I've run into these people and I run away from these people. I try to knock them down when I run into them. I'm just kidding, I don't. But but it's dangerous. It's a dangerous thing. I don't think that that's where we're at. I don't think we're at either of these extremes, but I, I'm hoping this morning that we could begin to have something spark in us that says there's got to be more than this. God, God wants, certainly God must want to use me in other ways in my life, and I want to see God move in the miraculous. I want to see healing take place through me. I struggle with this. I struggle with it, on, and I'll just be vulnerable with you, because there's a part of me that have, has at times prayed for healing to take place but giving God a back door if he doesn't. God, if it be your will, would you heal this person? And it's just honestly, it's kind of a cop-out, and it's an insecurity in my own life that says, God, I don't think you're going to probably do this, but on the off chance that you do it, I'll give you credit for it. But if you don't, I'll give you a way out. I mean, have you been there before? Have you, have you been in that kind of a, a moment where you're like, I don't think God's actually going to do this, but I, I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to be, uh, have faith, and so I'm going to have the faith. I just, ah, uh, I don't know. And what would it look like if we began to walk in the confidence and not have to have all the answers as to why not, but the expectation of what he is going to do? See, I think that's where we're at. We're probably needing to swing our pendulum a little bit over this way, where we walk in the expectation that God is going to heal, that he is going to heal. And you say, well, what if he doesn't, though? Well, what if he doesn't? I don't know. I don't, I'm not God. I don't know the answer to that. I, I know that, uh, as Pastor Jay talked about a, a couple of weeks ago, in the, or a few weeks ago in the series Hearing from God, he, he said, he used, gave us like a phrase that's kind of a, a measuring stick from us. It's like, what's the worst that's going to happen? If I pray for somebody and they don't get healed, the worst that's going to happen is they're going to be exactly where they're at right now. But what's the worst that's going to happen is if you hear from the Lord that you're supposed to lay hands and pray for them, for them to receive healing, and you don't. The worst that's going to happen is they're going to remain exactly the way that they are. And I know it's hard for us because we we struggle with hearing from God. We struggle with this idea that God could actually use us to lay hands on someone and pray for them and see healing. But he can. If he can use the disciples, these guys, were, these guys were rough guys. Paul, who used to kill Christians, you know, kind of a bad guy. Has his life radically changed and he sees healing take place. He sees miracles take place. If he can use somebody like that, he can use somebody like you and me. We have to walk in the confidence that God is going to. To heal. And I know that's hard for us. But what would it look like to the testimony of everyone in our life circle when we go into our life circle, whether it be work, whether it's our home, whether it's our neighborhood or our school, and we go expecting that there's going to be divine moments where people are going to come to you and say, I need prayer for this. And you're going to lay hands and you're going to expect that they're going to get healed and they do. It's easier for us to come here into the building, to bring people and say, "Will you pray for them? Will you do this?" Listen, the same power of God that lives in Amy Simple McPherson and the healing power that he did through that woman lives in you. lives in you. You can be someone who prays and believes for God to heal because not of anything you can do or someplace theologically that you've arrived to, but because you have the Holy Spirit in you. So we're going to talk about that more next week. We're going to talk about what does the Holy Spirit mean to us in our everyday life? What does the gifts of the Spirit look like? Do we even believe in the gifts of the Spirit? Do we desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And for some of you, you may find yourself in this pendulum over here where you're like, I don't know if I believe that the gifts are for today. You might even be thinking right now, well, I guess we got the next few weeks off of church. Can I encourage you to just come and listen and hear, not persuasive words from me, but hear from the Lord and hear for yourself as to what God wants to do in your life because there has to be more than just this. Let's pray.